0: Share with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word that works effectively in each and every person who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord, God, and Savior. Father, we thank you that you have equipped us thoroughly to serve you through the power of your word in our lives. Father, help us to apply scripture to our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start in verse number one, in which the Bible tells us, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We know the great hall of faith, in which many saints, many Old Testament saints, their deeds, their actions, their service to the Lord is recorded there. We want to look at one particular person this evening who was maybe one of the most unlikely people who you would think would be would belong within the hall of faith. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, look, to, look at verses 32 and 33. And what more shall we say? For the time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. As we look at that, the person I'm interested in our discussion this evening of talking about is Samson. What an unlikely person to find his name in the hall of faith if you just consider the person that Samson was. But as we look at other names of people in that hall of faith, we find that they all had a very common problem. They were human beings and they were subject to sin. And they all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But they all did something, as Samson did, and we're going to see this, they put their faith in the one who had no sin. Now let's turn to the book of Judges in chapter 13, and we're going to take a look at the historical account of Samson as it's recorded in the book of Judges. And what we're going to notice is, from this account, we're going to notice four aspects of this account which proclaims the gospel. The first one we want to look at is God's presence among his people. We're going to read a lengthy passage in Hebrews, in, um, Excuse me, Judges chapter 13, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at God's presence among his people despite the people's sinfulness, despite the people's rebellion, despite the people's unfaithfulness. Picking it up in verse in chapter 13 and verse number 1. And the people of Israel again did what, was evil, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Despite the people's sinfulness, despite the people's rebellion, When God turned them over to these people who came in and and took over them and and kind of disciplined them for their disobedience to the Lord, he would then send a judge. And the judge would kind of straighten all things out and rescue the people from the oppression that they were in once they had learned their lesson. Samson was one of these judges. There was a certain man of Zorah, picking it up in verse 2, of the tribe of the Dananites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. And the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Please let the man of God whom you sent to to come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of the Lord again came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or anything... Or eat anything unclean all that I command her let her all that I command her let her observe Manoah said to the angel of the Lord please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you and the angel of the Lord said to Manoah if you detain me I will not eat of your food but if you prepare a burnt offering then offer it to the Lord for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us the things, or or now announced to such things as these to us. God's presence among his people. We all know from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, there's a promise that I will never ever leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And this was true particularly during this time of judges here, and it is also true today. We see this man and his wife. The woman is barren. And who appears to her? The angel of the Lord. Now we know from Old Testament passages, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7, and we also see this in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2, which it refers to the appearance of God in the burning bush as the angel of the Lord speaking through the burning bush. God's messenger, so closely identified with God that to see him was to see God. We also know that the angel of the Lord being the Lord Jesus Christ, communicates with man through the word of God. And in this particular passage, we see that there's an encounter with Samson's parents. We see that he announces Samson's birth. And we also see that he gives the details of Samson's mission. As we look through these passages that we just read, we see it's full of references referring to this angel that appeared to Manoah and his wife as the angel of the Lord, as the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And it's funny, when we had recently gone to um, Sight and Sound Theater to see this play on Samson, and as I'm reading this name Manoah, I remember one person called him (laughs) Manoah. At one point he said, no, 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 it's Manoah. So (laughs) that was coming to my mind as I was reading that, making sure I didn't make the same mistake. But let's look at a few instances of this particular passage in which we have reference to who... This, who this person is. God's presence among his people. A clear message of the gospel. A clear message of the gospel. God is always with us. The Holy Spirit is always within us. The Holy Spirit is always equipping us. But we, as we look through this passage, as I said, we're going to see numerous references to this angel of the Lord as being the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see is look at chapter 13 and look at verse number 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very, very awesome. If we look in Revelation chapter 1, in verses 9 through 18, it describes the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read this about who he was, the eyes of the flame of fire, all the, the, the references it has to him, it's a very, very awesome sight. So he was awesome like God. So that's one of the... Inferences that we have, which show us that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter, keeping in chapter 13, look at verses 8 through 11. And Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to come, come to us again and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of the Lord came again and said to to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. We know from the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus Christ uses seven I am statements to describe his deity. And as we know, as we turn to um, Exodus chapter 3, we're going to see that when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared in a burning bush to Moses, he described himself with the same words. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. This is how God identified himself. To Moses. If we look for a moment in verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So we see that the angel of the Lord had appeared to Moses through the burning bush. Now let's look at verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So he identifies himself to Moses as I am, the self-existent one. He identifies himself to him in that way. Now let's turn back to um, Judges chapter 13. Keep something in Judges in that area because we're going be to be turning back and forth. The angel of the Lord also accepts worship as God. Look at verses 15 through and 16 of Judges chapter 13. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let, me, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord, for Manoah did not know that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when these words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So we see in these particular passages that he prepares a burnt offering to the Lord. And we see what happens. Once this burnt offering gets going, the angel of the Lord goes up to heaven in the midst of of the burnt offering. Again, up in the flame, just as it appeared in, to Moses in, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3. And we see in verse number 23 of this particular passage also, as far as this um, accepting worship as God, is, in verse 23 it says, But this, but his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. So he accepted worship as God. And what happened when this happened? They fell down on their face in worship of the Lord. We see that happening so many times when the Lord appears to people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we look at Revelation chapter 1, when he appears to John, he falls down at his feet in complete worship, in complete worship of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see... In this particular passage, another inference. Look at verses, we just read them, verses 17 and 18 again. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? We're all familiar with Isaiah 9 and verse 6, in which tells us it's a, it's a passage that we read a lot around Christmas time. It appears on a lot of Christmas cards. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is another reference to this angel of the Lord who appeared to Manoah and his wife as being the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, we look at, as we look at this passage, We see another another reference. Look at verses 21 through 23. And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. If we remember, back in Exodus, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And God said what? No man shall see me and live. So these these people obviously had some sort of a biblical background, some sort of an idea of what was going on, because they had this reference. They knew who the angel of the Lord was. They also knew that they picked up on all the little hints that were given, and they realized that they had seen God, and they realized that there was a possibility from that particular passage in Exodus that they could have died. But then she says... Well, he wouldn't have shown us all these things or accepted the burnt offering had he intended to kill us. So the first aspect of the gospel that we see in the historical account of Samson is God's presence, ever presence among his people. And it's so true today as it is then. God's presence among us. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's a number of passages in the Gospels. We looked at one this morning, which the Lord Jesus Christ said, Lo, behold, I will be with you till the end of the age. God's presence is always among his people, regardless of his people's unfaithfulness. Another aspect that we see through the life of Samson is Samson's sinfulness. The sinfulness of mankind in need of salvation. Samson was no stranger to this. I think what we would have called Samson in this day and age was probably a playboy. Samson was the kind of guy who just loved to have fun and did everything, despite his Nazarite vow, did everything he could do to dishonor God through, through, the, through the mission that God had set for him. Let's look at a couple of these in- inferences. First of all, we know that Samson, in chapter 13, we read it was, was to be a Nazarite from, from, from birth to the grave for his entire life which meant he was to keep this vow was supposed to keep this vow for his entire life some of the other aspects was he said no razor shall come upon his head and he was to save israel from the hands of the philistines you see that was from the very beginning samson's mission to save israel from the hands of the philistines so despite whatever kind of life samson lived god was going to use samson for this purpose. He was going to learn a lot of harder lessons as we're going to see along the way, but God was going to use Samson despite himself for this particular purpose. Let's look at some of the things, the problems that Samson had. First of all, Samson pursued foreign women despite warnings from his parents and warnings from others not to do so. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 3 and 4 says this, God, God speaking, you shall not intermarry with them Giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. When the anger of the Lord, then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you. Samson pursued foreign women. Let's look at chapter 14, verses one through three. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of our relatives or among the people that you must take a wife from the, from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now God was eventually going to use this and Samson's life is part of his whole plan for Samson to defeat the Philistines. As we go on in the story, we read that many Philistines were, were, were killed by Samson as a result of this wedding and, and, and the aftermath of the wedding feast and some of the events that took place. But God used Samson in spite of his own sinfulness. Samson pursued foreign women. Look at chapter 16 and verse number 1. Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Again, Samson pursuing foreign women. Look at chapter 16 and verse number 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. So Samson, the first thing he did is he broke that vow of not pursuing foreign women and taking foreign women as their wives. Again, he was a Nazarite. He was set apart as holy to God, and he was breaking that commandment right there. As we look at the life account of Samson, we also see that Samson breaks every Nazarite requirement that there is. In Numbers chapter 6, we have the three provisions of the Nazarite vow. They are abstinence from wine, no contact with the dead, and no cutting of hair. Samson breaks each and every one of these requirements. Look at chapter 14 and verse 5. He comes in contact with wine. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and he came to the vineyards of Timnah. So again, he comes in contact with wine through walking through the vineyard. He also comes in contact with wine as we look at chapter 14 and verse number 10 through a feast that is thrown. His father went down, to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there for the young, for so the young men used to do. So he has this great wedding feast with this woman that he married, and we know that at that wedding feast, as we read some of the details as, as later on, as we know the story and, and what's going on, we see that they were feasting for days, and they were making bets about things and riddles being exchanged. There obviously was probably some alcoholic beverages being served, the wine being served at this particular event. He also touches a dead body, which breaking the Nazarite vow. Look at chapter 14, verses eight and nine. After some days, he returned to take her, meaning this woman that, that he saw this, uh, this woman in Timnah. and he turned aside to see the carcass of a lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped them from honey. He had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. This is the lion that he killed with his bare hands. So he touches this lion and he takes the honey out. Also, if we look to look at chapter fifteen, verses fourteen through seventeen. Then he came to Lehi. The Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax, that he had caught fire. And the bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, meaning this donkey had probably just died, and put, it, and put it in his hand and took it. And with it he struck down 1,000 men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down 1,000 men. As soon as they had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. So he touches the dead body of a lion to get the honey out, and he grabs the jawbone of a, of a dead donkey to kill the Philistines. And then he breaks, as we're going to see in chapter 16, he breaks one of the biggest vows, and that vow is he cuts his hair, and that ultimately leads to his demise, as we see in verse uh, chapter 16 and Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and we see where where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and humble him. And we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. So the, 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 um, this whole process now starts. She goes to him several times, several times, asks him where his strength is. Each time he kind of toys with her, he tells her something. She binds him. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks the thing. He goes off and he destroys those Philistines. And then the same thing happens over and over and over again. You think he would have got it. After like the second or third time of her binding him, when he tells him where the strength is, I think he would have got it, but he doesn't. Let's pick it up in chapter 15. I'm sorry, Yeah, in chapter 16, in verse number 15. And she said to him, "This is Delilah. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies." And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has not come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like other men. When Delilah saw that he, that, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are on you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as in other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So he breaks every single Nazarite vow, no different than any other human being. Samson was a man who was bound by the sinfulness brought about by the fall. He he was no different than any of us. He broke each and every one of these Nazarite vows, and he also pursued foreign women. So he was a man, like every man, in need of salvation. Another aspect that we see, which clearly proclaims the gospel, is the Spirit of God empowering his people. Galatians 5.16 tells us this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let's look at this from the context of Samson. Let's look at chapter 13 in verses 24 through 25. And This is right after Samson had been born. The Bible says, And the woman bore a son, and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshterol. So from the very beginning, the Spirit of the Lord was working in the life of Samson. Other instances that we see. Look at chapter 14, in verses 5 and 6, when he comes in contact with this lion. And Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and though he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. Look at chapter 14 and verses 19 through 20. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, And he went down to Ashton and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had been told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So Samson, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. When he told the riddle to these men, he was given so many garments and so many items. But what did he do? Again, his own sinfulness. Does he go out and buy them for himself? No, he goes, he steals them from somebody else. But the spirit of the Lord, it says, rushed upon him. Look at chapter 15 in verses 14 through 16. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had been caught in fire, and the bonds melted off his hands. The Spirit of the Lord, it says, rushed upon him. The King James says, and the new King James says, came upon him mightily. This word rushed upon him means it came with great power, with great might. With great power, not from his own, but with great power from God. Just as the Holy Spirit in our life comes upon us to empower us to do things that we can't do on our own. See, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. In the Old Testament, it was different. God used the Holy Spirit in the lives of certain people to empower them for tasks that they could not do on their own for the benefit of God's people. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. After, we're, after salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. It is our guarantee of a future inheritance, but it also is our, the way we perceive, perceive the Word. It allows us to read the Word, To study the word and understand the word. And it equips us to do things with the power of God behind it. And that's what we see in the gospel. Once saved and that Holy Spirit comes upon you, God now can empower you to do the things that you could not do on your own. We can do nothing apart from God, apart from his grace. We can do it in our flesh, but it's not honoring to God in that way. So he, the Holy Spirit, came upon Samson in these instances as it comes upon believers today from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things that we could not normally do on our own. Final aspect that we see about the gospel is God alone can provide salvation. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 4.12 tells us this, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now let's look at this from the historical account of Samson. Let's turn to chapter 16. And let's look at verse number 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between two pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. So Samson is blind. He's in the mill grinding. And these Philistines are having a big sacrifice And a big praise to their small g-god, Dagon, who they believe has delivered Samson into their hands. And they bring Samson out. This man who was the judge of Israel, a Nazarite from birth to death, they bring him out to make a fool and mock him as part of this whole festival, we'll call it, that they were having. And Samson's blind and he comes out and they wanted to entertain them. Obviously, by this point, they probably, Samson was getting some of his strength back, and they saw evidences of this. So they figured, let's have him perform some feats of strength or some things which no one else can do. So they bring him out of the, of the, of the, 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 the grinding mill, and what do they do? They want him to entertain them, and entertain them before their God. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, And on the roof, there were 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson, helpless, blind, defenseless, what does he do? He calls upon the Lord to strengthen him one last time. And this was what we saw back in chapter 13, God's will for Samson. God's will for Samson was he was to deliver his people from the hand of the Philistines. So this was all in accordance with God's will and purpose for Samson's life. Regardless of who Samson was, as we had said, and what his sinfulness was, God was going to use Samson for his glory. He had come to the point, at this point, where he realized his need for the Lord. He came to that point. Let's continue. In Verse 29. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one side and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom Samson killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel for twenty years." Despite what all Samson had done in his life, when he called upon the Lord for help, for deliverance, for salvation, God responded in a mighty way to Samson. He realized his need and God granted his request despite his prior failures and despite his prior disobedience. So at the very beginning we asked the question, how can a man with Samson's credentials find his name in the hall of faith? Samson who was immoral. Samson who was selfish. Samson who was quick-tempered. Samson who was reckless. Samson who was disobedient to God's word in breaking the Nazarite vows and in pursuing foreign women. Samson who was a thief who went and stole items rather than buying them to pay his, his uh, bet off. How can, he be, how can God take a man like this with these types of credentials and put him in the hall of faith? We said there are others in the hall of faith with similar things. What about Abraham and Sarah with Hagar? They're in the hall of faith. What about them doubting God's promise of a child? What about Jacob and Esau with the selling of the birthright? And Esau basically stealing the blessing. Jacob stealing the blessing. What about Moses? He strikes the rock rock twice rather than once to get the water out of it. What about Rahab? She was a prostitute. What about David? We can't forget what happened between Bathsheba and Uriah. You see, all men sin and fall short of the glory of God. But here's what the gospel does. The gospel offers hope. A hope that sets us apart from the rest of the world with its flaws and sins because we have trusted in the one who was without sin. And our sin debt has been paid in full. Turn with me please to Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The sinless one who has passed through the heavens and died for our sins is always ready to provide us with hope where it's hopeless, peace where it's unpeaceful, and strength when we just don't have it to go forward. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. let's look at verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is hope. And there is salvation for everyone in the gospel, regardless of our past, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what where we've come from, regardless of our, our ethnic race, regardless of who what religion we come from, there is hope in the gospel. And the story of Samson clearly illustrates that. We saw what Samson's life was like, we saw what his character was like, but yet. His name, his his life history is recorded in scripture, and his name is recorded in the great wall of faith. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the, element, the, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all trespasses by the cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing them, by triumphing over them in it. You see when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Samson was dead in his trespasses and sins. Abraham was dead in their trespasses and sins. The list goes on and on, each and every one of us. The Lord Jesus Christ came and paid that debt for us. He paid a debt that we could never pay on our own. He paid a debt that it was impossible for us ever to overcome. It was one of those circumstances that we were all destined to eternal hellfire without the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, as we said, there's hope in the gospel through him. He died on the cross to forgive us so that our sins can be forgiven. And we need to embrace that. We need to acknowledge that. We live in a world today in which there's so much going on. God has been put on the back burner in almost everything that takes place that we see. His name is being taken out of. The Constitution, his name is being taken out of the pressure of allegiance. Man is going spiraling downhill. But we have to band together, and we have to keep that hope alive. Because that's where the hope of the world is. The world has no hope. The world's hope is dead. But we have a living hope, the Bible tells us, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a living hope because of our salvation. And that can overcome anything any sin which any of us could have ever committed. We're a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. One last scripture passage, Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 22. And we'll close with this. And this is for each and every one of us, as it was true for all those Old Testament saints. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what happened to each and every one of these people. They were presented in the Lord Jesus Christ holy, blameless, and above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister, and of which each and every one of us are also a minister. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these examples in Scripture of encouragement. Father, all Scripture points to the only hope that man has, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The lives of all of these people in the hall of faith Our lives, Father, point to the glorious work of the Savior who humbled himself, became man, and died on the cross to pay a sin debt that none of us could ever pay. It's him we glorify, Father. It's him we praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.